I'm so delighted to be with you. It's been tremendous joy to meet Ant and Nick on those two occasions, and God has really given me a heart for the unity of the body of Christ. I don't think I've always had that mentality, but it's grown stronger over the years. I believe there's only one church, and it's the body of Christ. And I believe that in these days where there's so many pressures designed to discourage us, intimidate us, and divide us, it's time God's people came together on the essentials of the gospel, of the power of the Holy Spirit, and of our desire to extend Christ's rule in every area of life. And I thank God for the ways in which so much revelation has come to the church over the years about what is on God's heart for us. And that includes the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So, and asked me, would I speak on the subject of prophecy tonight and um, the gift of prophecy? I actually haven't always believed this was available for us today. I, like all the rest of us, I've read in the Bible about it, and, um, but came from a church that was a very strict, narrow-minded, and isolated Baptist church. That's where I met my wife, Ruth, who's a gorgeous woman. Um, and we've subsequently gone on to have three amazing sons, all grown up now, 24, 27, and 30. And the last of them got married last Saturday, so we had an amazing weekend. And I've got three fabulous daughters-in-law we get on like a house on fire with, and they've all got a great sense of humor. So there's a lot of fun, more fun coming to our household. But it wasn't like that back in our church, back in the 70s. And I think what um, they really believed was things like tongues were of the devil, and prophecy just didn't exist today. God's not doing any of that kind of stuff today. So they were highly suspicious of churches that professed to move in these things. But um, while I was um, trained um, at uh, Durham University, I met a lot of charismatics. Some of them were really weird and flaky, but I met some sensible ones too. But none who could really answer my questions on these matters. And um, I went subsequently to become a teacher, and then a call to the pastoral ministry and preaching ministry came into my life. And we went to a house fellowship. We were invited to a house fellowship meeting in a living room. When we got there, there were no seats available, so my wife and I got split across the room to sit near a wall, cramped in this room, which was about to start worship and prayer and praise. And I was really anxious about um, this call that had come to a head and whether I should give up my day job and go to London to train for the ministry. And we had no money to do this. We'd have to do it by faith. And within about 10 minutes of the meeting starting, and we were sort of a bit sort of sheepish about this, wondering if anything dangerous would happen to us, but we were willing to take some risks and be there. When suddenly a man stood up and started to pray in an unknown language, and I thought, that must be tongues. But it doesn't sound devilish to me. And he seems like a sweet old man. And he no sooner finished this tongue, than a prophecy came. And the prophecy said this, Do not be afraid, my son, about what I am going to do with your life from here on. I am about to open a door for you, and I want you to go through it and trust me for all the resources... For I have enough cattle to slay to supply for all of your needs. This is me. This is my call upon your life. And I will provide for you all through this period. And I will continue to open doors for you because you have heard from me. Wow. I burst into tears. I looked across the room and my wife had snot running down her face and tears everywhere. I realized that God had spoken to us as clearly as he possibly could. And the next day I resigned my job as a high school teacher and applied for a Bible college in London, and the rest is history. I trained in a Bible college called the London Theological Cemetery. Uh, No, the London (laughs) Theological Seminary in Finchley. And uh, I then got my first call to Winchester, where I pastored for 21 years, and I have now returned to London in one of the most famous churches in the capital, Westminster Chapel. So I can tell you, over the years, I've learned a lot. And in my early ministry, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit in 1979. And when I first became a pastor, unusual things started to happen as people came to seek my help. As they sat before me with enormous problems and stories unfolding, Ideas would pop into my head, and I'd say, do you know, I'm, I'm sensing this about you, and they'd 
jaws would drop open. And they'd say, how did you know that? And I'd say, I don't know. Is it right? Yes. And that began to happen with increasing frequency. And I realized that what I'd been the recipient of in terms of someone speaking to me, I was beginning to do with other people. So the church that we'd belonged to were actually putting out the Spirit's fire and denying to the point of almost blaspheming the Holy Spirit. If you attribute what the Spirit does to the devil, you're on very dangerous ground, aren't you? And what we realized then was that the Holy Spirit was beginning to show me the availability of these gifts for his people today. Tragically, that church was what we could call a non-profit organization. The word spelled slightly differently, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, non-profit organization. But I've come to see today that it's the will of God that all of us flow in this gift. So if you look at your notes now, I'd like to work through this as quickly as I can, because my intention tonight is to encourage you and to spur you on to consider this gift and hunger for it, because I actually believe this gift is available to every single Christian, and every single Christian is urged and encouraged by the New Testament letters. You need some notes? They're still going around then. Every single Christian is urged and encouraged to pursue this gift, and every single Christian can be enabled by God to move in the gift of prophecy. So I'm going to give you what I think will be a tasty sampler of why that is the case, so that you will leave this place hungry to move in the gift of prophecy. How many of you would like to do that? I believe you will. Now, A.W. Tozer said this. He's one of my favorite writers and an outstanding prophetic figure from the mid-20th century. That's why, if you read A.W. Tozer's books today, you feel like you're reading a contemporary author. He had this ability to hear from God for the timeless needs and timeless conditions of the church so that any generation could open his writings and say, wow, how did he know? Because he was a prophet, a prophetic preacher par excellence. He said this, we need to have the gifts of the Spirit restored again to the church. And it is my belief that the one gift we need most now is the gift of prophecy. He wrote this in the 1950s. In other words, he was already anticipating that a new move of the Holy Spirit would begin soon that would touch the whole of the church. And he was right. It began in the 1960s. It became known as the Charismatic Movement because they talked about the charismata, or gift donations of Jesus to his church. And he was hungry for this in his own life and in the life of the broader church. And he was right. Of course, a contemporary of the time, Smith Wigglesworth, also gave a prophecy in South Africa to a Pentecostal leader called David Duplessis. And around that time, he predicted, too, that there would be a move of God among the denominational churches. And this unfolded relentlessly from the 1960s onwards, beginning in places like California. But, Smith Wigglesworth said, this would spawn a new church movement, and both movements would wane. But there would come, eventually, an amazing move where the people of the Word and the people of the Spirit would come together. And that would be the signal of the greatest revival around the world in church history. Do you know I believe that's going to happen? And I'm beginning to see the early signs of this because people who are characterized by resistance to the Holy Spirit, all the cracks in that resistance seem to be appearing. And there's a new openness to at least discover what the case is for the kind of thing I'm talking about tonight. And I've had amazing doors open for me in the last two to three years in Bible colleges who would never have touched this stuff with what the proverbial barge pole is. Now, the devil, as you know, if you're skeptical about this, is a spirit. And he has a host of invisible powers, demonic forces. If we're skeptical about the ability of personal spirits to communicate to our minds, you just think about the ways in which you have horrible thoughts come to your mind, and filthy dreams, and nightmares that frighten you and wake you up in a cold sweat, and thoughts occur to you that are nasty and ugly about other people in church. 
And sometimes those thoughts are nasty about the intention of God for your life and the character of God for your life. Now, if the devil can speak to you clearly with thoughts and pictures and words that have an effect upon your thinking and behavior sometimes, how much more can God, who loves you, treats you as his child, who wants to give you words of encouragement and comfort and consolation and direction for your life. And yet, whilst we're ready to believe the devil will speak to us, and we rebuke him and resist his temptations, very often we're reticent to believe God would do this. I believe he does. So here are some definitions of prophecy. Prophecy is the supernatural ability to speak the mind of God on a given subject at a given time by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Now, this may be about events. It could be about conditions. It may be about the inner struggles a friend or neighbor is having. It could be about something God intends to do for an individual or people. It's a whole range of things. But the word prophecy comes from two Greek um, words that have been compounded together. And one means on behalf of, And the other means to speak. So a prophet in the Old Testament and the same gift operating in the New Testament means that God gives an ability to some people to speak on behalf of another. And that other is God himself. It is to convey things that God wants communicated to his people. Of course, he's spoken to us infallibly in the Scriptures. But there is a lesser gift that is under the authority of the Scriptures which, as it were, keeps us up to date in the Holy Spirit and even sheds light on the Scriptures in a way that enables us to speak their truths meaningfully and powerfully into people's lives. The mind of God on any given subject at a given time by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Here's another good definition. Prophecy is putting into words what God has presented to our minds in visual or verbal form. So that... I'm not saying that our words are literally inspired as the apostles and prophets who wrote the scriptures were. I am saying, however, God can put things into our heads in our imagination, screen something on our imagination. And we then have the task of interpreting it, explaining it, and applying it because it's become something meaningful from God. This is how prophecy works. Here's another definition from Tozer. Prophecy must alarm, arouse, challenge. It's God's presence voice to a particular people. In other words, where the prophetic is operating accurately, frequently, and weightily, it stares people. It provokes us. It may address major issues a church is facing or is about to face. It may stir us to action. It may lead us to do things we've never engaged in before. It keeps us up to date in the Holy Spirit. My predecessor, Dr. R.T. Kendall, in a lecture he gave on this subject once, said this, prophecy is immediate revelation from God or knowledge that is beyond sense perception. It's something you don't know by sight or audible hearing or something you've read. It's something that goes beyond mere hunches that we sometimes have. It is God giving us little r revelation. You know, capital R revelation is what went into the Bible. It's timeless. It's permanent. It's from God's eternal heart for all people everywhere in all places at all times. But little r revelation is God dropping little things spontaneously into your heart for the here and now and for this people and for situations they're facing right now. It doesn't have the same authority and stature as big R Revelation, so we don't need to have a ring binder on our Bibles where we can add pages to the book of Revelation and say, this is inspired scripture too. No, that ended at Revelation chapter 22. So what we have, however, is the ability to hear from God with little snippets of revelation he gives us for this people and this time in which we live and even the place that we live in. One last definition for the moment is that prophetic ministry is the declaration of the mind of God in the power of the Holy Spirit with a special bearing on the current situation. And I'll tell you this, if preachers aren't able to do this ever, 
bring to bear to the mind of God in the power of the Holy Spirit with a special bearing on this current situation. They're pretty boring preachers. The best preaching you've ever heard has this dimension running through it regularly, the power of the prophetic. And you just feel, and people literally say this, how did he know? How does he know this? Only on Sunday morning I was preaching where a young man in his 20s brought his sister for the very first time to church. And within 10 minutes I was on a theme related to fathering and the damage done to children. Just out the blue, I didn't plan even to say this. And my friend went white because his sister sat next to him. He can already see tears in her eyes. And he's thinking, oh no, why did he get onto this? She's going to think I've set her up. And this was all contrived to get her here this morning because the pastor's going to nail her. Well, I didn't even know she was there, actually. But when the prophetic is in the preaching, God gives you things to say for someone who's just arrived for the very first time, and they're going to say, have you been talking to him about me? Well, the answer is no, but God is. And he knew she was there. Actually, she was bawling with tears by the end of the service. And far from being offended, she said, that was an amazing experience, being among those people. They are so lovely. It's an extraordinary church. I've never been in a church like that. Well, how many, how many of us know we need this? We're going to touch Britain today. We need churches where people are going to encounter God by coming to the place and being among the people. Now, the New Testament teaches not only the priesthood of all believers... A priest is someone who represents God to people and represents people's needs to God. In fact, in representing people's needs to God, we bring God's answers to those needs. A priest mediates, helps people make the connection with the living God. But a prophet is also a role that Jesus himself had. And he gives it to his people. I believe not only in the priesthood of all believers, which is a Reformation truth that Martin Luther and Calvin and the rest said, we don't need just ordained clergy, we need to see the priesthood of all believers ministering on behalf of God to bless people in need. But we also need the prophethood of all believers. So in any new outpouring of the Holy Spirit you'll see in the Bible, you will see too that there's an increase of the prophetic with people's lives. It happened in Numbers 11 when Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, the holy tent that God set up in the wilderness, and the glory of God came down. It didn't always happen like this, but the glory of God came down, and they and the priests with them began to prophesy, it says. And of course, Nadab and Abihu were missing. Maybe they slept in. We don't know whether they just had another appointment to keep. But they went there, and they turned up late. And Joshua was very determined that they would not experience the thing that they had experienced. The glory of God coming on them, and the ability to speak for God in prophetic words. But Moses had the right heart. He said, no, would that all the Lord's people were prophets. And he wanted them included in this anointing. Well, he didn't know just what he was saying because this was God's ultimate intention from the day of Pentecost onwards. It was on that day that Peter quoted that in the last days I will pour out my spirit in all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy. This is now the age of the extensive anointing of the Holy Spirit upon the whole body of Christ. So your sons and daughters will prophesy. The Spirit is going to be poured out on all flesh. It's going to be poured out on manservants and, ma and, and maids. In other words, the Holy Spirit is an equal opportunity employer. And he's going to touch the last and the least and the lowest with this gift. You check it out. It's in Acts chapter 2. But I ask now, why is this so vital? Let me give you some reasons. I don't know if we'll get through all of these. But I want to motivate you to see that this is true. First of all, because prophecy exposes us to a vital dimension of Christ's own ministry to his church. And in Ephesians, that great church letter, Paul says that he, the ascended Christ, has given to the church apostles, some apostles, some prophets, 
some evangelists and teachers, to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, verse 12, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, he who was crucified, buried, and rose bodily from the grave and then was lifted, returning to heaven in his body. Do you know there's a man in glory tonight? And he is in a body still, and he's going to be in that body permanently. He has permanently joined deity with humanity. The God who became flesh has maintained flesh. He's glorified humanity. And that same Jesus has donated the same ministries he's had to men on church. He is the apostle, the prophet. He is the teacher. He is the pastor. And he's the evangelist. He's called all of these things in the Gospels. And now he has shared out these ministries. One of which is prophecy. I believe the church has been seeing over the last few decades the restoration of these Ephesians 4 ministry gifts to the church. I've put little blanks in there for you to fill in with your pens. But essentially, it is apostles who ground the church in everything Jesus intends for them because they, of course, are um, foundation layers. They lay foundations of teaching and experience in new church plants and the lives of new Christians. It is prophets, I often use my fingers to illustrate this, it is prophets, let's use our index finger, what do you primarily use this finger for? We have brought the sound. Is it because I was stepping in front of the speaker? Okay. Prophets guide the church. They orientate the church to a future God is preparing for them. They alert them to dangers that are come. And without them, of course, we don't have eyes to see ultimately, what God intends us to take note of and pursue from him. Evangelists are those who, well, if I put my finger together, it looks a little bit like an arrowhead, and the point of the arrowhead is the center finger, which is the longest. It stands out from the rest. And the evangelist is someone who, as it were, spearheads the church's outreach into the lost world and neighborhood around it. It's a great gift to have in your church, evangelists, because they'll provoke the rest of you to evangelism. They'll probably set up an alpha course. They will train you in how to personally witness and write your personal testimony. They'll train you and motivate you to be a full-time Christian on the job and to ensure that you're always intriguing and baiting the hoop to lure Christians towards the attractiveness of Christ. Well, they're gatherers. Evangelists gather. They don't do much for people after that, but they are <laughs> eager to hand them on to people who will. But what a wonderful gift it is. I actually think it's the most beautiful of all these five gifts. And I was converted under an evangelist called Billy Graham back in 1967. I can't see footage of that man without feeling tears coming to my eyes. That's how much I admire that gift. And I think he's one of the greatest evangelists, if not the greatest evangelist other than Jesus, who has ever been given to the church. Then they hand them over usually to pastors and teachers. And the things about pastors is that they, they, um, they ground us in truth and teachers do too. Pastors actually guard the church, which is their primary gift. They are the ones who keep the wolves away. They warn us of erroneous teaching. They build us up in the truth so we'll mature in the faith. They are the guardians of the church, and the teachers are those who, who will um, ground us in teaching of God's Word. Now, that's the first thing. Second, prophecy conveys vision and purpose to the people of God. I just have one reference there, Amos 3, 7. Surely the Lord our God does nothing without uh, revealing his purposes to the prophets. In other words, they're vision carriers. Vision is a God-given picture of a preferred future. 
Churches without it get bogged down in the present or just simply nostalgic for the golden age of the past. It wasn't that golden, was it? The golden age of the church is ahead of us. The glory to come is far better than anything we've experienced in the past. How many of you believe that? And we can have a tasters of it in our lifetimes. So prophets prepare us for unusual things God is about to do in the church so that we catch, get up to get date in the Holy Spirit. In short, another word for them is the Old Testament word seers. And it literally means people who've got eyes to see. So prophets regularly see what ordinary people don't see and regularly hear what ordinary people don't hear so they're prepared to say what other people aren't prepared to say. Well, it's wonderful to have people like this who keep you up to date with the Holy Spirit. They are the church's eyes. No wonder we've been for so long a non-profit organization. Because without eyes, you can't, sim- you can't simply prepare for next week, never mind next year or five years' time or ten years. We need to keep up to date where the Holy Spirit's going in the church. And it's wonderful to have people in your midst who have this ability to get agitated about the status quo. What's the status quo? It's a Latin phrase. It means the the mess that we're in. (laughs) It's prophets who will unsettle us that there's more, there's better. Come on, let's reach out for what God has been showing me he intends to do. Third, prophecy prepares and fortifies the church for things to come. I don't know if you know about the times of restoration where the temple was rebuilt and later there was a time when God encouraged his people and moved them on to deal with the ruined walls, the ruined walls that had been the result of exile and destruction under the Assyrians and then the Babylonians. Well, in Ezra chapter 5, verse 2, we read this, that because the building program was hindered by criticism, setback, and discouragement, and even enemy attack, now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. And then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, he was the builder, and Joshua, he was a priest and an assistant in this task, son of Josedek, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Now, I don't know if they picked up trowels or helped shape stones or heaved heavy loads to, of timber to get this building done. They may have done that practically, but the greatest help a prophet can give you when you're on a project that's facing setbacks and delays and demoralized workers and lack of finances is speak. And that's why we've got Haggai's two-chapter book, and we've got Zechariah's something like 11 or 12 chapters. Haggai is Joe Blunt, who just speaks in plain-speaking, short sentences. Thus saith the Lord, I am with you. But Zechariah's got a more poetic imagination, and some of his imagery is hard to explain to this day, but it must have motivated the builders. You need them. How do we know it worked? Because in chapter 6, verse 14 of Ezra, it says this, and they installed the priests, chapter chapter 6, verse 14, sorry. So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, a descendant of Iddo. They finished the building of the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus. I've been involved in two building projects. The first was the demolition of a a hut that seated a max of 200 people on the south side of Winchester, the first building we met in, which was only put up temporarily in 1934, and we were still in it in 1989. But we'd outgrown it long since, and it meant, therefore, a faith venture. And that faith venture was a 500,000-pound building on the same site, which was the only land that we possessed. Do you know we'd never have got that money in or put that building up if it hadn't been for prophetic input and impulse from God? But we filled it in three years. And now God sent us on a search for another place, 
And we looked everywhere in that small city of Winchester, and the building we kept coming back to was a huge cinema in the center of town designed to seat 1,500 people. And God made it as clear as day through prophetic input. We were meant to have that building. When we inquired, we discovered that they were willing to sell it. It was a bingo hall by now. And it meant turfing out old ladies and old men who spent their afternoons in a bingo club. It made the press that we'd stop them playing their bingo. But at any rate, this building became available to us at the price of 1.25 million pounds. And then we discovered we didn't have to pay VAT, so that meant it a million pounds. But then we talked them down, because there was so much work needed on it, to 850,000 pounds. Do you know we'd never have got that building in the time we were able to get it for 850,000 pounds if God had not told us we were meant to have it? And more than that, spoke to his people that you are to give that money as you've never given before. And let me tell you, 250 people gave, as I told some leaders earlier tonight, 850,000 pounds on a single gift day just before Christmas. Ten days before Christmas. That's got to be a miracle of God, hasn't it? It's got to be. Especially when you think how many students we had, how many elderly people on a pension we had. So where did that money come from? I don't know. But I wet buckets the day it was announced, that day, that the £850,000 would be given, and we bought that building outright. Well, they subsequently gave £2.5 to refurbish it. But it's the prophetic that releases this. It's the prophetic that releases people to give and finish projects. It let, he lets the church for things to come. Here's number four. It confirms and focuses leadings of God's servants that they've already received. Do you know, this is such a beautiful gift that when you're thinking about a major life change or different direction or career change or work God has input, wants you to do, it is amazing. You will probably get, if there's any of them around, prophets who start speaking to you about this. When R.T. Kendall wrote to me about considering coming as his successor to Westminster Chapel, I didn't want to do that job. I had been 21 years in a church that had just acquired a million-pound building that we had a vision for our city and their environs and beyond as part of a network of churches called New Frontiers. Why would I want to go to Westminster Chapel? But I'd no sooner received that letter than I was in a minister's fraternal where a man put his hand on my shoulders and said, Greg, do you know I think you're going to be leaving like Paul went up to the capital at Rome and you're going to be going up the M3 and passing all the towns and villages to go right to the heart of the capital. God bless you. <laughs> now at this point, nobody knew a thing because I wasn't going to even tell our church about this. I might explore it a little, but I'm not going to tell anybody because why unsettle people over something that's never going to happen? But you know, a month later, I was in Sheffield teaching some students for the New Frontiers uh, training for ministry course, and I stayed with a couple I'd never met. On the second day there, he comes home from his job at the university where he's an IT specialist, and John cuts in front of me a number of pictures of William Branham ministering. We've been talking about this because he was one of the great healing evangelists of the 1940s, and I was fascinated about him. And so was he. And we were both believed these days are coming again where astonishing miracles are going to be happening on the grand scale to advance the gospel. So William Branham is an extraordinary figure whom God raised up for that. But he says, I've got a very special picture which I want to put in front of you. I've printed this in sepia and framed it. I said, why? He said, because I believe God's spoken to me about a change in your life. He puts a, bill, a picture down in front of me that made me fall nearly off my seat. He said, it was a building with two galleries, and the galleries and building were filled with people, and this was the view from the pulpit. Well, I'd just been sneaking off to Westminster Chapel to preach a Sunday for them to see if they liked me. <laughs> and the view of this sepia-brown picture 
from 1950 in New York looked exactly like the view from, the win- from Westminster Chapel, except for one difference. Westminster Chapel wasn't full of people. And I said, I didn't say a thing. He said, do you know, this picture stood out. It was an auditorium with a crowd waiting for William Branham to preach and minister. He said, I don't get this. But you're going to go there. And when, the, when God has sorted this church out, that's what it's going to look like eventually. Full of people. Well, then he says, you come to a crossroads in your life. All your life has been preparation for this. And it won't go down easily with people who know you that this is where God's taking you. New Frontiers will feel uncomfortable about it. They did. (laughs) But this is me, he's saying. This is God. And God is going to open this door for you, and it will seem impossible to open. It did. It took a whole year for them to process. But that door opened, and I've been there eight and a half years now. And it's not full yet. But it's changed beyond all recognition already. Now, isn't that a beautiful gift that tells you of changes in your life that you would need faith for and take some risks? Rick Joyner says that he often conducts informal um, surveys when he's speaking at major Christian conferences with thousands of people. And he asks the audience, how many of you have heard a clear call from God so that you know what his will is for your life and destiny. Usually, on average, only 10% of the people put their hands up. Okay, he says, of those 10% of you who... who, This is charismatic, spirit-filled Christians, mind you. This is not half-dead, half-wits who come from dumb and dead denominations who don't even know God reveals his will to people. This is hot-blooded, red-hot, spirit-filled Christians, and only 10% of them know what God wants them to do with their life. And that could be true of the people in this building right now. Now, he says, of those 10%, how many of you are actually on course and prepared and ready and actually moving in that known will of God for your life? And do you know how many of them respond of that 10%? 10%. That means one in a hundred spirit-filled Christians know what God has called them to do and are actually doing it. That is frightening, isn't it? And it may be true that many of you here, that you're still not moving in the call of God for your life. Well, you need a prophet. Prophets will confirm things you heard, maybe years before, and get you moving. Think of Acts 13, verses 1 and 2, where Saul has been brought to Antioch, great church, by an encourager called Barnabas. He's been there 10 years, and it must be about 13 to 15 years since his experience on the Damascus Road, where Jesus himself personally called him to be an apostle. But look at this. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, and a whole list of names. And it says, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now that's the verb from which we get the noun apostle. They apostled them. They sent them off, apostello, they were sent forth, the verb is, so they became apostles. And from this point onwards, they're called apostles because they were thrust forth on the first church planting mission. Do you get it? This is how you discover and have confirmed things you may have heard years ago. Prophetic people will often be the catalyst for you being launched into your life destiny confirming your life destiny, as that prophet did in that living room in Wigan in north of England that, after that evening where my wife and I were dipping ourselves in some from forbidden fruit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and it changed the direction of our lives, and it can change your life.
Now, there's five verbs Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 for what prophecy does. I wish I could unpack these fully for you. But he says it edifies, and the word is oikodemeo, and it means to build and completely furnish the church. You ever seen a new housing estate go up on the edge of the city? or perhaps a new virgin ground. Maybe they bought a farm and some developer, like Wimpy's, put up a, um, begins an estate. Do you know they always build a show home? And that show home is the first house they finish on the edge of the estate. And they'll finish it completely. They'll completely decorate it with soft furnishings. It will have pictures on the walls. It will have beautiful lightning. It will, lighting. It will have all the kitchen finished, the bedrooms. That's the show home. The idea is that young couples who are just starting out and need a house will go and visit this show home and they'll walk in and say, oh, oh, wow, look at this room. Look at those pictures. Oh, what are the bedrooms like? And she'll say, the kitchen is fabulous. Look at the bathroom. It's not a toilet down the, edge of, down the end of the yard, which I grew up with when I was a kid in Bootle. This is a fully furnished, lush, plush bathroom. And they're trying to persuade you to sign the contract and buy Do you know, God wants to make every church in our town a show home for the Holy Spirit. That people walk in and they'll say, wow, I've never been in a church like this. This is amazing. I never knew church could be like this. A show home in the Holy Spirit. He'll furnish it with his gifts. He'll furnish it with his presence. He'll make pictures appear that look like a, a glimpse of heaven on people's minds. You know, that's called okadameho. It's building a show home in the Holy Spirit. You need prophets to help you do that. It exhorts, parakaleo is the word. It means that the Holy Spirit will draw alongside people, and what he will help them to do is hear counsel and encouragement that they need, that is so timely, they will sometimes burst into tears and weep in their seats because someone has spoken into their lives. How could they have known they needed to hear that at this time? To encourage parumuthia means it will bring calmness in place of fear and peace in, in place of agitation. How many of you have been encouraged by a prophetic word ever in your life? puts heart and boldness in you where you were timid and scared and shattered and fractured. How much do we need this in the church? How much do they need it on your local council estate? Do you know, this isn't just for the church. This is to be exported to the neighborhood. Prophecy needs to go on the streets as well as down the aisles. The fifth verb, the fourth verb is it convicts, elenchitai, it says that unbelievers, if everybody's prophesying, will fall down on their knees and say, God is among you. While we demolished that old hut in Winchester, we went to meet in a school hall. And one morning in the months that were, the building project was underway, a couple got into the school hall, and the only seats left typically were on the front row. And so they were sat right down in front of me like this in these two empty seats. And I was preaching that morning. And as I was preaching, I saw them getting disturbed, one of them very much so. And uh, she began to cry. And a friend saying, just stroking her hand, see, I told you. (laughs) And as the meeting came to an end, I felt I needed to make an appeal for people to come to Christ. Do you know both of these women fell on their face on the ground, like it says in 1 Corinthians 14, and started weeping? And it was a parquet floor of a school hall, old 1940s parquet floor. And all these tears were soaking this floor. And I didn't know what was going on, but some of our people came to talk to them. Turned out this was a couple from Northampton, and they'd driven from 5.30 that morning to be here for a 10 o'clock service to make sure they got there, and they got late because they got lost. They're women drivers. <laughs> oh, that wasn't a prophecy. Um, but they got there in time to hear the message, 
And it turned out, this was a Christian who'd been witnessing to this woman for months and answering her questions. And in that sermon, it's as though I'd been listening in on the conversation. That's why they were crying. I'd been listening in and raising the issues she'd raised with the Christian over the weeks, and I was saying the same things her friend had said. So it was all confirmed in the mouth of two or three witnesses. And she fell on her knees and gave her life to Christ that morning and was converted. Well, that's the prophetic. I didn't plan to say half of that stuff. It just comes while you're preaching because God knows they're there and knows them and knows what their issues are and wants to answer them and wants to comfort and encourage them and wants to lead them to Jesus. How many of you would like that gift? Do you know where it's going to be used mostly? With non-Christians? You're going to know things about people. I met a couple who had been at a barbecue of friends in our church whom I'd never met, and we got on well in the barbecue. You do in those informal settings. When they find out you're a pastor, they're a bit spooked. But they liked us. They only find out I was a pastor after they'd met us, which is good. Well, about four weeks later, we met the same couple in town in a cafe in a department store, and they, they waved us over. So in waving us over, we came and chatted with them for a bit, and then my wife said, come on, I'd like to show you some stuff in this shop. So they went off for a while, and I talked to the husband. That night at 5 a.m., I had this incredible dream about him. And in it, I saw 17 things about his life. And I couldn't shake this off, so I got up in the middle of the night, trying not to wake my wife up, went down, got a piece of paper, wrote them all down, and I thought, how can I tell him all this? So I thought, I'll ring him up at 7.30. You probably won't have gone to work yet, and I'm going to ring him up. Well, I did, at 7.30. And he picked up the phone, and I said, hello, it's um, Greg Haslam. You remember we met yesterday in... Greg! I was just about to ring you. I need to talk with you. I've got some things I'm facing I need to talk. Well, I said, that's why I've rung you up. I feel I need to talk to you. There's some things I feel God woke me up and told me about you. He was flabbergasted. Come round when you finish work tonight. And he did. He sat in front of me on the sofa in our living room. My wife had left. We were alone. And I said, I just don't want you to tell me anything. I want to tell you what God told me about you. So he goes, ooh, this will be fun. And he sat down really comfortable, really comfortable. And um, I said, well, I'll just go through the list. I've got it written down. And I started going, here's number one. And he goes, wow. Well, here's number two. He goes, Here's number three. Do you know, his body language began to change totally. It began to shrink down on this soft leather sofa. He sank so low, his legs stuck out, and he slid onto the floor and dropped onto the This is his body language. By number ten, he's just going... He's just disturbed. Because it wasn't all good stuff. Some of it was about things in his past and his life until the point where I suggested to him that the Lord had told me he was having an affair with another woman. And unless he repented, his marriage would break up. Now, folks, that's not the kind of message you really want to deliver to people. But all 17 points were true. I wish I could tell you he became a Christian as a result of this. What he did is determinedly plunge into this affair, leave his wife and kids, and end his marriage. But you know what God was offering for him to do? Repent. Believe the gospel who his Christian friends from our church had witnessed to him about for over months. And repair his marriage and be a father to his two precious sons whom he actually loved. But he didn't. But he could never say God had not shown him what was needed to be done. So sometimes this has an outcome we never expected. And the last verb is instructs. It says, he who prophesies um, instructs. 
how is it, verse 31. I'm going to leave this here there. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone will be instructed and encouraged. It means to convey knowledge that will save and transform lives. So there's more ways of learning than opening a book or sitting in front of a teacher. The prophetic can instruct you. It can point directionally for your life. It can inform you with a key to unlock a situation you never understood before. It can give you wisdom from God that you've not been able to access before now, so you know exactly what to do in that situation. It may be, as a preacher is teaching Scripture, the very truth you've never heard but most need to hear is conveyed to you so powerfully that day it will change your whole mind and outlook and the direction of your life. That's what I call prophetic preaching. Prophetic preaching. And how many of you know we need more prophetic preachers in our land? Well, here's a beautiful gift then. And I've only had chance in this first session to cover half of the notes assigned for this session, but I hope I've motivated you. And there's still more points for you to read. But I would say to you this, this is one of the most beautiful, edifying, and extraordinary gifts the Holy Spirit can give, and He gives them primarily to ordinary believers like you and me, so that we may be carriers of weighty information, truth, revelation, encouragement, comfort, and consolation to God's people. I've put a quote at the end of page three. Prophecy is not just a question of a little word, of building up and a few consoling thoughts. The building up is lifting men and women out of the humdrum into the great movement of God in history. And the paraclesis, the encouragement, is the application of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete or the comfort in himself to shake a man to the very core and stand him on his feet again to do great exploits for God. Do you know, I doubt this is a non-profit organization I'm addressing tonight, but it could become a more profitable organization than it is now so that all of these functions and more begin to just go off like fireworks in your meetings, your small groups, your one-on-one conversations with each other, your meetings, particularly with non-Christians. You just know in your knower what you're meant to say to them now. And you'll watch the tears come in their eyes as you say it. Isn't this an amazing gift? Well, before I leave tonight, I'm going to give you some hints about how it comes to you but we'll break for that. 